Hello, all things Montessori community. I hope everyone is having a lovely June, whether you just finished your school year, maybe you're in your last week of school, wherever you are, hang in there. You are almost there. I just finished my school year last week and it felt really good. So (laughs) keep fighting the good fight if you're still in the classroom. And I hope you enjoy your time with your children as the year comes to a close. This episode is awesome. I got the amazing opportunity to interview Amy Williams, the founder of Amy Williams Academy. She has so much incredible knowledge and wisdom in this incredible conversation. I felt like I was honestly going to like a therapy session at times. She is so real and just really gets it. And our conversation kind of goes all over the place, but in the best way, uh, we touch on really important topics and there's a really awesome point where we talk about consent in the classroom and with young children. I think it's just absolutely so important. So I hope you enjoy this amazing episode with Amy. I've linked her website below, so please check her out. She is amazing. Enjoy. I'm so excited today. I have Amy Williams with me on the podcast. She is the founder of Amy Williams Academy. She has 26 years of coaching and training experience. She works exclusively with expressive arts therapy and her specialty is in dance movement therapy. She's also been specializing in Montessori for 20 years. She's the director of student services currently at the Portland Montessori School, just to name a few of the things that she's doing. And I'm just so excited to have her here with me on All Things Montessori. Welcome, Amy. How are you doing? I'm doing so great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I've been listening to your podcast for a long time. So happy to be here talking with you today. Yes, me too. I always love when I get to talk to Montessorians um, from all over the world, all over the country, because I always find that we have a lot of commonalities, even if even though we're working in different in different places. So I just read your really impressive bio, but I would love I always ask everybody when they come on the podcast how they came to be in this line of work. So I'd love to know how you came to be in a lot of different types of your work and then kind of go into how you came to be interested in Montessori. Sure, sure. Um, I, it started at Antioch, New England grad school where I was um, deci- I had decided to be an expressive arts therapist, particularly a dance movement therapist. So I was in school, came out, uh, worked at a, at a residential uh, treatment center for adolescents for a, a, a little bit of time and then found Montessori. Um, I started at Arbor Montessori School in Atlanta in their enrichment program. And I thought, you know, what is this Montessori? I'm so curious. I'm, I'm, I want to know more about this. So I was, you know, a teacher invited me to observe in the classroom and I was blown away and realized, okay, this is, this is where I need to be. So from that point, I just shifted my focus on learning more about Montessori and, made the big family move out here to Portland, Oregon. And um, yeah, I've been at the Portland Montessori School ever since. And you're working as the director of student services there now. Right. So student services, what does all that entail? I feel like that's a pretty big blanket term. <laughs> I know it's kind of a long term. Like, what does that mean? Right. Really? Um, right. It's a fancy name for school counselor, basically. Basically, So mm-hmm. my role involves um, coaching and working alongside uh, families, um, working alongside um, educators and teachers, 
the, uh, the support staff assistant team, anybody who works directly with children, I get to come alongside and do observation, make uh, recommendations and suggestions, ask questions about how can we make any adaptations if necessary, or how are we um, how are we serving a child so that they're you know they have the experience that's the best for them. Um, regardless of what their ability is. So I get to work directly with children, um, with families, helping them figure out and um, navigate the whole IFSP process or if they need outside services or they need parent coaching. You know, how do, right. I, how do I get my child in the car in the morning without a meltdown? Those kinds of things. <laughs> so do you work with, what's the age range at the school that you're at? Uh, we have um, our, we have an infant, a toddler program and go through sixth grade. So I get to work wow. with all of them. Yeah. yeah, that's so exciting. So as they get older, I'm assuming, do they work with you in different ways? Do they work with you kind of in like a longer setting? Is it more child focused rather than parent focused? I'm assuming at the elementary level. You know, interesting in the elementary level, it, it depends on the community and what the community needs at that point. So, so sometimes I go in and... Um, lead a small group or even a larger group gathering and we talk about how, you know how to ask a friend to play how to negotiate conflict um uh, what about con uh consent what about that how do you ask for consent how do you listen for consent um we've even had a small group on swear words like what Ooh. how do what words are offensive to others what are at home okay words what are at school okay words yeah, that's one that sticks in my mind because there was a, yeah, kind of an uptick of swearing happening in the playground. And the guy just reached out to me and said, oh, my gosh, please, will you come and, will you come and talk to them about that? So that was a really interesting conversation with some. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny because we recently, like last week in our lower elementary community, had some um, interesting language happening. And it's so interesting to me at the lower elementary um, at that time in a child's life, it's pretty innocent. Uh, they're hearing what they're hearing. They're repeating it. They don't really know what's going on. I think sometimes using words like stupid or dumb, that's almost worse because they know what that means at that point, in my yeah. opinion. Um, uh -huh. So it was just, we had some pretty interesting conversations. You know, this one girl, she, her, her older sister was, you know, saying it or something. And, and she just wanted to, to say what she was saying. And she's like, well, she was saying it. So that means it's okay. You know, just all right. of this confusion and, and also curiosity, like, well, why can't I say that word? What do you mean? I, I mean, it's, you're teaching me how to read and write. Why can't I say that word? Yeah. Why is that collection of letters and that collection of sounds? Uh, why are those forbidden? And this one is right. not. <laughs> it's, a, it's a, it's a question that has stumped me as a guide or somebody working with children before where I'm like, that's a great question. Why are these words that way? That's a great question, you know, because yeah. <laughs> I can say something simple like, well, we don't say that here or that's, you know, that's a, I mean, sometimes I've even wanted to say like, well, that's an adult word, which like, it, is it? I don't know. No, it's, it's a vulgar, <laughs> offensive word. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's interesting. You know, it's an opportunity to think about the other person and the impact of your words on another person, right? So you may have words that you use at home and those are, that's fine at home. Cause everybody agrees that that doesn't hurt their feelings or their heart yeah. and they're not, they don't feel offended or oh, taken aback. But if you go to, you know, Aunt Barbara's house, maybe you don't use those words because she didn't like them. So think about what the, what the, mm, what your audience 
<laughs> hears and likes or doesn't like. Yeah. That is a great advice because it's where, you know, what the community has agreed on. I love that. I'm going to use that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <You're welcome. laughs> so what else are you seeing in schools right now in a, in a post COVID? Well, we're not really post, but a semi post you know, a transitioning COVID world with mm-hmm. students back in the classroom. Um, mm-hmm. I can think of things that I've seen that have shocked me um, mm-hmm. in the way that um, the pandemic affected children. So what mm-hmm. kinds of things have you seen in the school? If, if you could talk about that. Sure, of course. I, um, overall, the most common um, topic or issue that educators bring to me is the increase in d- behaviors that are sideways. Um, some people call them difficult behaviors or misbehaviors. And, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot lately, lately like, okay, well, who's it difficult for you or right. <laughs> the community? So, you know, I, I just understood this phrase of bothersome behaviors. They bother mm-hmm. somebody, right? Mm-hmm. So there's an increase of that kind of behavior and dysregulation is is so much more common now than before. I'm hearing from teachers and seeing in classrooms uh, kind of a spike in anxiety like behaviors, you know, nervousness to come to school. You know, a child will cough and say, oh, my gosh, I have COVID. I have to go Mm -hmm. home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when a four year old says that, it just kind of gets you in the heart. Um, So you know, difficult behaviors, um, anxiety-like behaviors, um, difficulty settling in and focusing on work. So it seems like there, there are behaviors and experiences that children are experiencing right now that have been harder than before. So I'm hearing lots of frustration from teachers. You know, what do I do? I, uh, I, do I need different materials <laughs> in my mm-hmm. classroom? Yeah. I'm supposed to have everything that I need, but it's not working. It's not working. Then I'm hearing from families too, that, you know, the, the family dynamic is shifting. You know, everybody is under stress and has been in a long period of stress and that affects family dynamics, you know, the level of patience you have, um, the isolation that takes place can, how long has it been since you've been on a play date where your children can play together and you get to talk to another adult (laughs) without your children. Right. And that, and the, you know, the behaviors at home too are also on the increase in difficulty and anxiety. I have more children more children whose families I'm coaching about anxiety than ever before, Mm. ever before. Mm -hmm. What's that unknown? I, I, I had a revelation one day where I didn't understand why the energy in our classroom was so like high. I don't know. It was, it was palpable. I mean, it was just really, it kind of just felt on edge. And it was during this time where we were at any moment, we could have gone back to virtual or something like that or distance learning. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it was like every single day was maybe the last day of school because there was no stability. Right. In the, you know, and there right. was like three months where it was like that. And now it's thankfully leveled out mm-hmm. um, a bit, but that was really difficult to deal with. And I thought of these children too, like to come into elementary school, especially as the second plane child, like 
that's supposed to be like you're stable. You're like, you're not growing as much like you are, but it's not like zero to six where everything is, you know, things are crazy and it's before puberty. It's just this nice little bubble, uh-huh. but it was really intense. Cause I was like, they don't know if they're coming back tomorrow. They don't know if their friend has COVID who left today. Like that, you know, it, a lot of questions right. that you don't really expect to be thinking about when you're seven or eight. Sure. And you know, the, in that second plan, that importance of friendship and partnership and peers, you know, takes a, it skyrockets. So they want to work in groups. They want to work with their friends. They want to, they're practicing deepening friendships and connection. So connection is so important at that age. And then disconnection has been the norm, right? So we're trying to revisit how do you connect? How do you work in a group you know, at the low table together with three of your friends and you're all masked up and, you know, somebody coughs and, you know, there's a little bit of a freak out. (laughs) How do you, how do you do that again? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. The social skills for now more than ever, we actually, we recently, um, we started singing like outside and cause we hadn't really been able to do a lot of music, which uh-huh. I think is so important in the classroom. I'm, I'm a musician. I'm super biased, but I think music like <laughs> weaves the classroom together. Absolutely. Sing it. Yeah. And we started doing it. And, um, the guide that I work with, you know, we were talking about it and, and she was just like, I didn't realize how much we needed it. And it's true because it's that communal togetherness all working towards something silly like singing a very silly song like we're singing mrs murphy's chowder which is like a ridiculous song (laughs) but they're obsessed and so excited and yeah and then it it kind of erupted into this other work like these other children wanted to write a song for follow-up and then there was all this other like fun stuff happening because of that and that to me listen i know that like math facts are important or whatever but at the end of the day like right now, after we've all communally been through this like intense world pandemic and we're still dealing with it, community and social skills and knowing that you do have a friend in the classroom, you do have friends to work with. Like you can be, um, you can be independent, but you can also have your friends and you can have your teachers and you can count on things. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's just of the utmost importance for teachers and for children and families. You know, it's 100%. Yeah. That community is, it comes first and all the academics are kind of a happy accident because you've created a community that trusts each other, that knows each other, that, uh, that can fight and resolve conflict together. So they, they have these experiences where they're a community right? They know their friends, they know who they want to work with and, you know, that kind of thing. So it's an important piece, almost a foundational piece, especially for that age group. I know, I know. So I want to talk a little bit about the Amy Williams Academy. Okay. And what you do and how cool it is, because I just think it's so <laughs> awesome. Um, and, you know, what what you're most, you know, what what I mean, even what you're working with most right now, or yeah. I, I when it, when we first um, when we first got into contact and I started, I started looking at it, I thought, oh, where was this when I was? <laughs> where was this five years ago for me? <laughs> <laughs> I was right here. I hadn't figured out that. I know. Right. (laughs) I mean, me either. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, But let's talk a little bit about that. How you, how you're supporting, um, you know, you're an educator coach and a family coach and how that, how that support kind of works. I would love to hear more about it. 
Sure. Sure. Well, you know, back in the day when I was just doing um, training and professional development for our team, um, it seemed like, wow, I really love this and this is really fun. And I really enjoyed the process of um, a teacher or a guide or a school leader coming to me and saying, okay, my team needs something about how to deal with, you know, physical altercations in the classroom. Can you do something? Yeah, sure. And then the research of that and the pulling together of new information and from my own experiences and from my observations and pulling that all together for a training, um, that was so satisfying for me. It's so Mm. much fun, right? Mm -hmm. So I started doing that more and more in-house and then outside schools started asking and saying, Hey, Amy, I hear that you do this. Can you do this with my school? And it, be, it just began to blossom. So I was doing something that I loved and I realized, huh, other people want this and need this too. Right. So that part of my business started to grow almost exponentially. Yeah. And then once, you know, once I started working one-on-one with a, a particular school leader, um, you know, this the the news spread that, oh, there's a person who knows about, um, who knows what happens in a Montessori classroom, who knows what happens um, for for children, primary age, infants and toddlers and school age children. Um, I wonder if we could chat too. I, ooh, I wonder if she could work with my classroom team. So it started to just grow. Mm-hmm. And I found, I really love this too. <laughs> so, awesome. and then it, it just took another life of its own. And then families started to hear more about it. And I've always been um, a resource like that for the families at our school. So, uh, you know, I w- might get a call from a family member who wants to chat and it turns out they want to talk about um, some extreme behaviors that are happening at home or just getting people in the bed at night. Like, can yeah. you help me get my kid to go to sleep? <laughs> well, uh, don't know about that. Because <laughs> never had anybody ever just gone to sleep by somebody right. say, just go to sleep. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although we've all tried that. Right. Oh, yeah. Would you just right. go to sleep? Yeah, no, <laughs> doesn't work. Not happening. Nope. Nope. Yeah. So that's um, that's kind of how it evolved. Um, love it. And yeah. So I'm so excited to do something that I really love. I feel mm-hmm. like it it has an impact in the world. I appreciate hearing the stories of people and to hear yeah. where they're coming from and what's important to them. Right. So you know, what are, what are your family values? What's important in your home? What are you, what's your, you know, what is your mission vision statement for your family? Um, Same thing for classrooms. Like what are the guidelines here? What's the most important thing? Ah, it's respect. Great. Let's talk about respect. Oh, it's compassion. Let's talk about compassion. How does that, how can we um, show that to each other every day? So it's helpful to find out first, what is, what is it that's important to that person or that community or in that household like what's important first and then then you can go into how to help support that and how to make that happen that's such a great way to approach it because that is usually the thing that maybe isn't going well or that has been forgotten about in my I think you know what I mean because with when you're in the classroom I mean let's say that like you know one thing that I always wanted in my classroom was like just I wanted the children to feel like extremely like how would have freedom of creativity almost like that mm-hmm. they didn't have any limits. Cause I always felt growing up that I, you know, I went to public school. So it was like, 
well, you're going to do this and that's what you're going to do. And it was, it was fine. I survived. It was awesome. I love my teachers, but I always wanted my kids to like really have free reign of that. And then of course I got in the classroom and like who started imposing limits, rules, control me because I didn't know really how to harness it. So Uh I, I think that's such a great thing because it's what's usually most true and close to your heart. And that's what you want so badly, but you're struggling figuring out how to make it happen. So what a great way to go into that. I love that. You know, what you said reminded me of, of the fact that the way that we parent or teach or are the important adult in a child's life is the way that we learned as children, right? Mm -hmm. So the way that teachers spoke to us is typically the way that we will speak to children as a teacher, you see? Until I know, right? Until you decide, okay, I'm going to do some self-reflection and I hear that phrase coming out of my mouth and that no longer serves me. How am I going to edit that? How will I rephrase that? Mm -hmm. Right? Did I hear um, growing up, you talk too much or um, go away. Children are not to be seen. You don't belong in this conversation or, you know, insert phrase that really hurt your heart here. And oftentimes when we are under stress as adults, those phrases will just bubble up inside our mouth and sometimes spill out. Right. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. afterwards we, oh, you know, there's this, Oh my God, I can't believe I said that. Or I, I can't believe, Oh my gosh, I yelled. I yelled at a kid today and that happens right mm-hmm. until you make the decision and the practice to do continued self-reflection and you know, what's really helpful is to have a partner that you really trust and who can let you know, Hey, Amy, do you need a break? Or I'll cover you so that you can take a break. Right. <laughs> your voice is getting louder than, than you intend, or your yep. voice is sounding really sharp right now. How can I help? How can I support you? Mm-hmm. Um, or you were shutting down. <laughs> You've disappeared into the corner. Wait, right. why are you in the closet? <laughs> I'm just kidding right. about that. No, I, a, I mean, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Come out of the closet. We have children out here. No, but really when we are under stress, we tend to bring back those phrases that, that are embedded in us from early on, right? Yeah. From other, from powerful in, teachers who made a big impact. Um, I'm thinking I have a second grade teacher that always comes to mind and her phrases that she used that, that are in there. And yeah. I've, I've done a lot of work to not let that come out of my mouth, mm. <laughs> but it's, it's a self-reflection and self-observation yeah. too. Totally. And yeah. self-forgiveness for when oh, you do those yes. things, you know, I, I also mm-hmm. think a great, a great thing to do with a colleague, you know, I I've, I've had these moments and I've had colleagues have moments with me where it's like, man, I just, I feel like I, maybe I was too hard on that kid or something. Yeah. And sometimes being like, no, you were in the right. But sometimes being like, you need to like go get a cup of tea and go sit down. It's both because there's so much shame associated sometimes. Oh, Oh, it's so hard because you're in charge of all these little beautiful beings and you're, you're trying Mm -hmm. your hardest and it is so hard. Yeah. All the time, pretty much. Um, and, and the world exists outside of the classroom. Like I your know. dog is sick or your car's breaking down right. or you feel like, you know, you're going to throw up. So you have things outside of the classroom that impact you as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that, that self-reflection, that's so fascinating what you said about teachers and how you speak. It's really true. And even like 
I have phrases that my mother said to me growing up and I'm super close to my mom and like had a great upbringing, but certain things just flow out. And I'm like, Oh my God. (laughs) There it is. (laughs) I didn't say it, but I sure did think it. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of our childhood um, or educational um, experience that I have definitely brought into the classroom, really wanting and seeking to do a lot of things differently um, Mm -hmm. from the way I, the way I learned specifically with subjects that I had trouble with, but Mm -hmm. I find that the academic part is the easiest because well, Montessori is brilliant. So it's like, well, this is already better. Mm -hmm. Um, It's all the other stuff. That's really hard. It's the classroom management. It's the, you know, how to, how to handle a, a tough situation with a child, how to really keep yourself patient and calm when a child has not listened to you like 15 times in a row (laughs) and knowing when, you know, knowing when to kind of shut it down and knowing when to give them grace. It's just, a, it's right. (laughs) And that comes with experience and partnerships with other people who, who love you and respect you enough to let you know, Hey, that worked really great. Or, okay, next time let's do this. Or um, I noticed and then say what you notice. I'm curious about, or I wonder if we mm-hmm. do this. And that's kind of the, you know, the observation and then communication as a team that uh, that's so important. You know, found, and let's go not, ahead. oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm no, no, go. So excited. Go. Um, go. I'm thinking about how, it, you know, we're thinking of the phrases that we want to edit or eliminate from our childhood, but let's not forget all the phrases and all the messages that we got that were good, that were important. Um, The ways that we were supported as a child and, you know, a young adult and even now, you know, what are those phrases that we want to keep and not edit out, right? (laughs) Absolutely, because, you know, I mean, I think about all the great experiences I have and I am who I am because of everything that happened to me. Mm -hmm. So I think that's such such a great point. Because sure. it all doesn't have to be bad. It has, you know, I, I think a lot of times we just focus on the negative, like, oh, you know, exactly. there are a lot of things that there are a lot of things that went well too. Right. There's hope. There's hope. You don't have there to is. undo everything from your childhood because perhaps there are some things that were good too. <laughs> let's, totally. let's focus on that. Yeah. Right. And you know, the the greatest thing about kids, and it's one thing I love about working with children, is they're so forgiving. I mean, even if you have a bad day or, you know, I, they're just so, um, they're really lovely and really forgiving and they take you as you are and they want to know you. They want to know the real authentic you. And when they know that you, they just love you so fiercely for it. Um, that's one thing I just adore about children is they're, it's a great, um, it's a really forgiving job. If you, I've found that with the more experience I have, the less personal I take stuff because I know that it's a work in progress and that you know, quite frankly, like shit happens and, you know, we move, <laughs> on, we, we move forward. Um, I, my first year of teaching all those years ago, I just, every, Oh God, I would just crumble at like anything that didn't go perfectly or, 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 you know, I mean, I just really took it so, so intensely personal that everything mm. was my fault. What a waste of time, but I had to go through all that to get <laughs> right. to where it bounces off a little bit easier. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I also, I really want to touch on something you mentioned about 20 minutes ago, the idea of consent and how to ask for consent, uh, Mm -hmm. specifically with young children. Mm -hmm. And I know this is a wide, um, 
there's a lot of ways that we can talk about this, but I know that you, you specialize in talking about it. So um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let's dive into that a little bit. Well, it's interesting that we're talking about, you know, going through these many, many, many months of COVID and coming out from underneath it. I've noticed that, um, that there's a need to revisit that even more, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, we're kind of out of practice. We were mm-hmm. out of practice. I think we're having some practice now. We've been back together for a little while now. Um, but noticing the cues of another person, do they want to be touched? Oh, I. it's important to ask first. Oh, and they said no. Right, <laughs> like, right. You know, and even the, it's, it goes beyond just the, can I physically touch you? Can I put my hands on you? It, it also includes, would you like to play or do you want to do this together or do you want to work on this group project together? They might say yes. And if so, great. And if they say no, okay, great. Right. It's their decision. So uh, we're a little out of practice in our social cues and in, in yeah. our ability to read social cues. So we're, um, I'm finding that um, we're having to revisit and practice that again and again. Um, I see that it's becoming easier just because we are together more now Mm -hmm. and there's more experiences and um, times that we have to practice asking and listening for an enthusiastic yes or a firm, clear no. Um, Listening for that and also stating a firm, clear no or an enthusiastic yes, right? So consent and, and the importance of addressing consent starts from infancy. So we want to talk about it with children early and often, right? So with our infants, we want to sportscast or narrate what we're doing. You know, I'm going to change your diaper. I'm getting a wipe. It might be really cold or I'm going to rub up, rub the wipe so it's warm. So we're using language, you know, language development is happening and we're letting the child know what is happening, right? And I don't know if you know this or if your listeners know this, but infants, they their bodies will actually prepa- prepare to be picked up when you say, I'm going to pick you up. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. I know there's a, a slight arch in the back. So they prepare to be picked up. Wow. Cool. I'm blown, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it, it, um, it creates more of a relationship and a partnership instead of I'm changing your diaper and I'm just going to do the thing to you. It becomes more, we're going to do this together. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So that going forward, speaking to children and interacting with children, giving them independence to when they get to the place and they can change their own clothes, asking Mm -hmm. them, would you like help? And they might not want help. Right. Right. We think, Oh, well, let me just, I'll just put your shirt on for you. And we have an inner dialogue that, Oh, they need help. Um, They need me to do this or, oh, that's the role of the teacher or the mom or the dad or the nan, whatever. Yeah. They can't do that. They can't possibly do that. So I'm going to do it to them Mm -hmm. instead of alongside them. Right. So that's, that's an aspect of consent, letting people know, you know, here's, here's what's happening. It's time to put your boots on. Would you like some help or can you do, would you like to do it yourself? And then there's choice to be made right? Giving some agency to the child that that shows deep respect from a very, very early age. So it's related to the conversations about consent as children get older and they're interacting with each other more. They're going out to the playground and somebody wants to play kittens and somebody else wants to play 
you know, something else, dinosaurs. So you can ask, would, do you want to play kittens? Yes. Wait, no, I changed my mind. And how do you, as a child, as a four-year-old, listen for that enthusiastic yes and listen for a firm, clear no. And also, can you change your mind? Can that person change their mind? Wait, no, you said you wanted to play kittens and, you know, fall apart. It's right. a place to have the conversation of, yeah, she wanted to play kittens at first and, and then she changed her mind. Hmm. And then you, you know, more conversation can happen about that. Um, but in my heart, I believe so firmly in the importance of letting children know early and often how to listen for an enthusiastic yes and a firm, clear no, and that somebody can change their mind. Right. Yeah. So if you take that idea and fast forward into adolescence, right? We want our children to be able to listen for an enthusiastic yes and a firm, clear no, or mm -hmm. if they change their mind. And we also want them to be able to say an enthusiastic yes and a firm, clear no, and to know that they can change their mind, right? That so, last part is so, so profound, like knowing that it's okay and normal for people to change their minds. Yeah. That's so... Because one, children do that all the time, all the time, all the mm -hmm. time. We, I do it all the time. Yes. Like so indecisive. So, I changed my mind about breakfast this morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's pretty, yeah, that, that kind of gave me chills thinking about it because I, we run into a lot of issues with that, um, mm -hmm. changing the mind and not being personally offended, understanding that um, each person is their own person and they can have their own, their own, um, uh, what's the right word? I don't know. Um, agency. Yeah. 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 Exactly. You get this, you know, Rachel, you can also you could change you could say yes, no, change your mind. And you can also play kittens yesterday and not want to do it today. Right. right. So and maybe want to do it tomorrow or not until next week. Right. So mm -hmm. helping children understand that just because your friend or another person in your classroom wants to do something one day doesn't mean they want to do it the next day and the next day, you know, just because, you know, you, you wanted to give a hug to somebody today doesn't mean that you want to hug them tomorrow or even later this afternoon. Right. So, so when we have, yeah, totally. So when we have those conversations with children and, and help them understand what the language is, what are they listening for and what words can they use when you know, saying an enthusiastic yes or a firm, clear no, or, you know, I did that yesterday, but I don't want to do it today. So maybe tomorrow, what mm. words can we help them um, practice so that they have them in their, you know, vocabulary, their conversation repertoire, if you will, that they could say yes, or mm, sure. Like how are all the ways that you could say yes? What are all the different ways that you could say no, right? Yeah. And then, you know, Rachel, you can get into the idea of mixed messages. <laughs> and oh I see this. Mm -hmm. So I find that that we can get more in depth about that with as our children enter the second plane in elementary. So you could say yes with your mouth, but your body really says no. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and if right. we talk about messaging, the words are really only 7% of our message. Right. And 30 some percent is our tone and our volume. And then more than 50 percent is our body. Right. So I could say, um, sure. And if my words match my tone, match my body, then that's that's an enthusiastic. Yes. 
Yeah. But what if I say, um, okay. And my shoulders drop and I, I pull back, my voice dips at the end and yes. it doesn't sound like a sure yes, then that's not a yes. Mm-hmm. So when I'm, you know, when we're having the conversation with our elementary students about what about those mixed messages? Does that mean yes? When somebody says, mm, okay, is that a yes? No. Try again later. Right. When that person is sure that they want yeah. to do that. Who knows? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's both sides, um, the, the asker and the answerer, <laughs> you know, if you're, you know, what if you say, yes, uh, yeah. And it's unsure. You're unsure about that. It gives us as the adults opportunity to help, help children know and practice what it is that they state, what it is that they want at that point. Right. Right. You God, can it's... say, I'm not sure. Let me think about it. Mm-hmm. If you're not sure, instead right. of the pressure of, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel for these little ones, um, just reflecting on how I was as a child and I still Mm -hmm. battle with this, just being a people pleaser and not wanting your friend to be mad at you and all of those sorts of things that happen in elementary school. Um, how to know that, you know, your friend is still going to be your friend. So this is on both sides. Like, you know, how, like what exactly what you were saying? Like, I, I remember I have memories of like middle school and elementary school, just saying yes to like, who knows what, Mm -hmm. um, just because I didn't want anyone to be mad at me, but sure. I was not excited about whatever I was doing. You know, it was probably like, you know, it wasn't anything traumatic or anything at that point, but you know, these lessons, they are so vital. Um, and it, it, it should be over trivial stuff at first when they're young, because then it's just a habit. And then you know how to give clear decisions and clear answers and be really strong in your answers. There's mm-hmm. nothing worse than feeling indecisive and then agreeing to something and then immediately regretting it right immediately and that uh-huh. oh god it's the worst <laughs> it's and so then bad. the person that you agreed to probably knows that you didn't want to do it so it's just a bad situation all around right. yeah yeah and it reinforces that oh well if somebody is not so sure about it i could still have them do what i want them to do Right. Right. So it sets up that dynamic and that expectation that, okay, if somebody's not really sure, yeah, I could still get them to do what I want. Right. Yeah. If there's that ambivalence. Totally. Can, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's important to, to have children practice saying yes or no, listening for yes or no when they're young so that, you know, the impact is um, low. Right. Yeah. And so when they're older, when they're teenagers, when they're mm-hmm. going to prom, when they're going on a date, right. they have had practice in that. Totally. Right? And totally. when they're older and they have a job and they're saying yes or no to an enormous project that a mm-hmm. boss is asking them to do, yeah. that's not in their job description that they're yeah. not getting paid for. Right. I mean, let's just talk about that. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> let's I- teach our children to negotiate through their experience in talking about consent early on it's it's connected yeah i just heard this thing the other day on a, another podcast i think it's called invisible salary um about how much extra work especially women are asked to do um at their jobs 
Uh, mm. Anyway, it was very Wait, fascinating. Another because, hour to talk about that. I know. <laughs> we should talk later. <laughs> I know, right? I was yeah. just, I was blown away and also appalled and also felt so seen yeah. when I was listening mm-hmm. to this because like, oh man, we do do a lot, don't we? We don't get paid yeah. for it. <laughs> sure enough. Sure enough. So practicing, asking for what you need and changing yeah. your mind. If I'm well rehearsed in that and I've, I have, uh, you know, bulked up that muscle and I've had lots of practice in that, it's going to come easier for me as an adult because I've had that practice and I expect that that is going to be the social interaction. Definitely. I expect that that person will engage in that conversation with me. Right. Whether that happens or not, you know, depends, but because I've had practice, right. I am, I'm better prepared Absolutely. Right. Right. And you're going to have, um, kind of those, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but you'll recognize red flags. I think a little bit easier if you have practice in, you know, consent, I think, I mean, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm making an assumption, but I would assume that if you are good at making decisions, knowing what you want, knowing what feels appropriate and good, then as you age, that's only going to become stronger. Right. And I think that's an incredible gift to give young children and then to give a teenager and then to give an adult. Sure. For them, for themselves and be able to recognize that in others, because not yeah. everybody is going to have that uh, level of um, sophistication in, in that area. Right. So how I just think it, I love that children can be able to read that in others. Mm. And help them along too. Like, oh, it's beautiful. Well, if you don't want to do this, just say no. Right. right. And they're like, so oh, I can say I no. Can, I can do that. I didn't learn that. <laughs> oh, so sweet. Oh, man. Well, Amy, this has been awesome. Um, I would love to have you back on sometime. I'm sure we could talk about a ton of different stuff, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell the world where they can find you if they are interested in contacting you. I will, of course, also put everything in the show notes, um, but I wanted to give you a a moment to speak about that. Nice. Well, I appreciate that. Well, people can find me. um, um, My website is amywilliamsacademy.com. I'm on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn, Amy Williams Academy. So you can find me there. Um, So I would love for people to, to find me Um, like my page, follow, because I tend to put out content. So through the, through social media, you can find me and hear me there. And also you can, um, we can reach out for independent um, consulting, professional development for your team, um, one-on-one coaching. Um, Happy to do that with families and um, with people who work with children. So that's my, that's my jam. Ooh. Here's something that exciting. That's exciting. I have um, I have a handful of social stories, um, or I call them Sosimo stories, social emotional stories, um, um, that'll be published in June. So I'm super excited. Not sure when this is going to air, but um, yeah, info will be on my website on how to to link to get to that. So that is so exciting, right? And one of them is about consent. So there's one about consent. There's one about um, how to handle difficult behaviors. I mean, how to handle, excuse me, how to handle big emotions oh, <laughs> that okay. can result in difficult behaviors. Sure. But they're written for children, for um, adults to read alongside children, how to do a oh, thing. So if you can lovely. imagine, yeah, if you could imagine a grace and courtesy sort of in the book form, um, that's what I'm going for. That's so awesome. Well, everybody head on over to Amy's amazing website. It's down in the show notes. It's really easy. You just have to click it. Um, And Amy, thanks so much for, for coming on All Things Montessori. 
My pleasure. Until next time.